So Job 28, the whole chapter. So settle on in. We're not going to get out of here anytime soon. Okay. Job 28, verse 1. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft in places untouched by human feet. Far from other people, they dangle and sway. The earth, from which food comes, is transformed below as if by fire. Lapis lazuli comes from its rocks. Its dust contains nuggets of gold. No, no bird of prey knows this hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it, and no lion prowls there. People assault the flinty rock with their hands, and they lay bare the roots of the mountains. They tunnel through the rock, and their eyes see all its treasures. They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me, and the seas say, it's not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Orphir, with precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral, jasper, they're not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Kush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say, Mm, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it. God alone knows where it dwells. For God views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When God established the force of the wind, measured out the waters, when God made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then God looked at wisdom and appraised it. God confirmed it and tested it. And then God said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil 
That is understanding. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then from Our World Belongs to God, Article 50. Contemporary testimony teaches. Grateful for advances in science and technology, we participate in their development, fostering care for creation and respect for the gift of life. We welcome discoveries that prevent or cure diseases and that help support healthy lives. We respect embryonic life approaching each new discovery, whether of science or of medical technique, with careful thought, seeking the will of God. If we were unaware at any point before this season of pandemic, just how much technology can make and remake our world. <laughs> this past year and a half uh, has disabused us of that ignorance. We have been given proof upon proof. Ooh, is there another voice than mine? No, okay. Oh, I heard a bounce back and it sounded, it sounded like a male voice. I'm like, God? No, that's weird. Okay. We have been given, it's also wonderful to hear your laughter. P.S. I have missed that. Thank you for that. We have been given proof upon proof these past 15 months that we are indeed immersed in <laughs> and shaped by the technology around us. Our experience of church, for the most part, this being an exception to most of our past year and a half, has been repackaged in a box filled with flickering pixels of light rather than the actual bodies and presence of our brothers and sisters. We have hosted birthday parties, anniversary celebrations via screen. We have attended funerals and have said goodbye to loved ones while crying in front of our laptops. We, we have been kept at a distance from each other and brought together by the technology available to us. You are able to join us now because technology makes this possible. And our world has been and is being remade by the work of scientists, doctors, lab technicians, virologists, who have worked and labored without ceasing at breakneck speed to develop vaccines. Vaccines that work. They're finally giving us a promise of the world we miss. And that builds with every jab in the arm, with every line at a pharmacy, with every second dose booked. We are more aware now than ever of how technology has made and remade our world over and over and over again. And as we come to the contemporary testimonies teaching on wisdom and technology, we probably find ourselves nodding along. <laughs> we are grateful for advances in technology. 
we want to participate in their development. We, we welcome discoveries that prevent or cure diseases and that help support healthy lives. Now, more than ever, we can say a hearty thanks be to God. Because those healthy lives that the contemporary testimony is talking about, <laughs> those are our healthy lives. Our returns to hugs and maskless conversation, to summer camping and backyard barbecues. Thanks be to God for advances in science and technology. But even as we're grateful for these advances in science and technology, I think this past year and a half has also made us deeply aware of technology's limitations. Technology has made and remade our world, and it's not always for the better. After a year of living almost exclusively through our tech, do you want to stay here? No. <laughs> we now know how deeply unsatisfying a life mediated by screens can be. And as we emerge out of this time, we have an opportunity to return to normal, healthy lives made possible by scientific advancement. But also we have an opportunity, we have a moment before we settle back into habits, we have a moment to think about and reflect on the role of tech in our lives. What do we want to return to? What, what do we want to keep from this past year? And, and how do we even begin to reflect on this rather than just having it happen to us? As I said, Joe would probably not be your first place to look or to think about looking for guidance and helpful guidance on 21st century technology. It's probably never directed you here before. But the contemporary testimony draws this chapter here in Job as, as a foundation, a scriptural witness to what it is able to say about science and technology. But we don't know Job thinking about this. We know Job in the midst of suffering. We know Job wrestling with God. And so this, even in a series of Job, you might have just passed right over. Because it doesn't necessarily fit easily with the narrative. So imagine you're watching your favorite prestige drama and the protagonist is having like an emotional speech at the end of this episode. But it's the, like, the series finale, okay? And there's in the midst of this emotional speech, the climax of this whole story. And then the camera breaks and cuts to a poet talking about mines and gemstones in the pursuit of wisdom. And you're going like, wait, what? I... I was in that, and I don't know where you're going. Where are you taking me? That's a bit of what's happening just with this insertion into the book of Job. 
Job is giving a lengthy, impassioned, emotional speech to an audience of relatively unhelpful and defensive friends about the power of God, about how he has been treated unjustly. And then it begins, there is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. The needle scratches just as if you were watching your favorite drama and a poet came out of nowhere and took you somewhere else. And, and the poem goes on like that. The chapter follows. And it describes in detail just how humans extract precious stone from the earth. How they search out the farthest recesses of ore in the blackest darkness. Even the image of, of humans dangling and swaying above an open shaft in the earth where human feet have never touched before. And describes how people assault the flinty rock with their hands. They lay bare the roots of the mountains, they tunnel through the rock, and their eyes see all the treasures. They search the sources of the rivers, and they bring hidden things to light. The poem is painting a picture of the ingenuity, the innovation, and the sheer ambition of the human will to discover, explore, and change the world with the technology available. And the poet, in the poem here, includes God-like language to communicate this. That the searching for the sources of the rivers might be a throwaway line to us, but in the cultural mythology of the time, gods dwelled at the sources of rivers. Particularly the most powerful god, El, dwelled at the source of two rivers. And so it's a way of saying that human ambition and technological advancement brings them to the very abode of the gods. And I hope you can't miss the allusion here to the Hebrew creation account, right? Humans entering the darkness and bringing what was hidden to light, right? I hope our biblical imaginations hear what this poet is drawing on. Let there be light and there was light. Godlike, indeed. And then the poet contrasts what humans are able to do with the animals. You know, they just prowl around. There's the most powerful animal, the lion on the land, the falcon who can see the farthest in the skies. But unlike them, humans remake the world around them. And it is not until a third of the way through that the poet lands his theme. But where is wisdom found? Where does understanding dwell? Now, you might be trying to beat me to the punch and think, <laughs> I think, okay, Pastor Amanda, I know where you're going. Okay, okay. This is where the poem's gonna take a turn, and it's gonna be a bit like the Tower of Babel, where the moral of the story is that human ambition and human technology, well, it gets everything wrong, and you're probably going to end somewhere telling us how horrible our smartphones are. And you would be wrong. Okay, honestly, mostly wrong. 
There might be, I might still talk about smartphones, just so you know. There is no easy reduction to be found in this passage between wisdom good, technology bad. We are called to shun evil, not shun technology. Because in fact, the, the poet describes the ingenuity of human technology with awe. That there's no apparent judgment. There's no saying you should stop. What are you doing? There's awe at what we are capable of. The, the next section of the poem, verses 15 through 19, it, we might, our eyes might glaze over a little bit. It's like an encyclopedia of just precious gemstones. Onyx, topaz, crystal, jasper, coral, rubies. And, and the poet actually uses five different expressions for gold. <laughs> our, our English can't match that. We just have gold. We can say pure gold. But there, there is an expertise that's being shown here. It's not just about technology, about what humans are capable of doing, but it's the expertise, the way of knowing the world around us by what we're able to do. The ability, the know-how to decode and categorize and order and remake the world around us. Most of wisdom literature, like in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, they build on the metaphor of wisdom as something to acquire, to buy, like rubies, like precious jewels. But the, the poet here just turns that metaphor on its head. Wisdom is not out there somewhere to find like the stones and the dust of the earth. Wisdom is not found in the depths Wisdom is not in the skies. It is not something you can buy or purchase with all those beautiful precious stones you drag out of the earth. In fact, the poet tells us point blank in verse 21, wisdom is hidden from the eye of every living thing. So where in the world can wisdom be found? God understands the way to wisdom, the poet tells us. God alone knows where it dwells. When God established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when God made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then God looked at wisdom and appraised it. God confirmed it and tested it. What is God doing when God looks at wisdom and appraises it here? The, the poet describes God in the act of creation. Measuring out the waters, establishing a rhythm to the rain, a path and inner working of the thunderstorm, establishing the force of the wind. God is in the act of making the world in ordering it, putting everything in its proper place with limits and boundaries. 
If you remember back to our Sabbath series when we talked about God's creative act at the beginning of all things, that act of separation and distinction of limits and boundaries is key to God's created order. And here, the poet tells us, this, here, this is wisdom. This is wisdom. In his book, The TechWise Family, Andy Crouch, he's a Christian writer and thinker, and he unpacks the role of technology in the life of his family. So he doesn't want to write kind of like a big idea of what technology is. He wants to say, what does this actually get looked and lived in in a family? His wife is a scientist who uh, does amazing scientific advancements in her lab. He's a Christian thinker who's trying to help us just follow the spirit better in our lives. And so he wrote a book on technology in the home. And the dominant image he works with is a tidying up game his family played when his kids were young. They would set a timer for 10 minutes, and then he played, they would play what he calls a <clears throat> demented version of musical chairs, where they would rush about for those 10 minutes, putting everything back in its proper place. Every stuffy, every shoe, every book, every pencil crayon. And at the end of the 10-minute whirlwind of activity, order would be restored. That part of the house was tidy. And Andy takes this and he applies it to the technology in his home. The technology his family is immersed in and breathe in and live. And if left unchecked, the technology that saturates our lives and shapes our world can, can create a bit of a mess in our lives, in our homes, in our relationships. Andy writes, Technology is in its proper place when it helps us bond with the real people we have been given to love. It is out of its proper place when we end up bonding with people at a distance who we have never known and will never know. Technology is in its proper place when it starts great conversations. It is out of its proper place when it prevents us from talking with and listening to one another. Technology is in its proper place when it helps us take care of our fragile bodies. It is out of place when it promises to help us escape the limits and the vulnerabilities of these bodies altogether. Technology is in its proper place when it helps us cultivate awe of the created world around us that we are responsible for stewarding. It is out of its proper place when it keeps us from engaging the wild and wonderful natural world with all of our senses. Technology in its proper place and technology bursting beyond its limits. And the act of tidying up and knowing the difference 
wisdom here in Job 28 is to be found in that process of establishing boundaries, of learning what our tech, what's, what's the proper place for the technology in our lives. Just like a family tidying up their room, or rooms of their house and placing things back in their proper place, and just like our God in the act of creation, ordering and limiting the darkness so that light can appear, ordering and limiting the waters so the lands can emerge, wisdom is found in the ordering and remaking of the world around us. So the mission of God's people is to follow God's example as image bearers of God. We pursue wisdom through the ordering and the remaking of the world around us. Placing things in its proper place and right purpose. Which rather than a simple unthinking yes or no to some new technology or scientific advancement, it is a process of discernment, of wondering, of questioning, of collaboration, and wondering where the Spirit might be leading. The poet in Job ends his last words as a kind of guiding principle for how to navigate this process of discernment. The fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. Shun evil, that's understanding. The contemporary testimony ends in a similar way. With the encouragement to approach each new discovery with careful thought, seeking the will of God. So as God's people in the world, <laughs> we're not called to unthinkingly and reflexively reject technology around us. We're also not called to unthinkingly accept <laughs> the technology around us. As God's people in the world, we're called to actively participate in the development and the discerning the proper place of tech in our lives and the world around us. Seeking God's will in an incredibly, incredibly complex world and pursuing what brings glory to God what reflects God's will in proper place, and what brings life to those around us? What supports healthy lives? What honors the gift of life? So whether you're an engineer, or lab technician, whether you are a virologist or a coder, or just someone trying to figure out how much is too much screen time, or what the role of social media should be in your life and in society. The same spirit that hovered over the waters of creation when God ordered and made and remade the world is the same spirit at work in us as God's people in our efforts of ordering and reordering, of shaping and making, of creating and testing the limits and the purposes for the world God loves.
for the technology around us, for what we are capable of. So as we emerge from a long season of living through our tech and our screens, may the Holy Spirit make us wise. Make us wise through the process of discernment and reflection and wondering and questioning just what we should keep from this time and what we should cast aside. Helping us to shun evil, to pursue the good, to gain understanding as we tidy up <laughs> and as we remake the world around us. Let us pray. Our creating God, you have gifted us with such an amazing ability to create, to imagine, to remake the world around us. And we confess that we sometimes use that so poorly. We do more harm than good. But may we, may we as your people gain wisdom as we try and fail, as we discern and question, as we find all the ways in which you are asking us to remake the world around us for your glory. In the name of your Son, amen.